Welcome to this week's message, Battling Temptation, from Luke chapter 4, 1 through 13, here on Brit David Podcast. Pastor Tim states, everyone faces temptation, even Jesus. Being tempted is not a sin, but it sure can lead to sin. We can learn from Jesus' example how to battle against temptation. Here's Pastor Tim. Amen. Thank you very much. You can have a seat. Hope you have your Bible today. If you'll take it, turn with me to Luke chapter number 4. You say, Luke chapter 4, I thought we just got started in this. We did. And uh, we're going to save those uh, Jesus' birth chapters uh, for December. We'll come back. So anyway, well, let's fast forward a little bit today. We'll go to chapter number 4. I want to talk to you today about something that every person in this room, doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter how new to the faith you are, Every person in this room will struggle with temptation. Everybody does. And so I want us to look at Jesus' life, how he dealt with temptation, and then for us to learn how to battle. Because even though every person in here knows what temptation is like, you know, sometimes sometimes we pass uh, temptation with victory. Sometimes we are the victim, and uh, we know what loss is. We know the, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat, if you will, when it comes to that. And so I want, us to, I want us to see some of these things so that you can know that God has provided with you everything that you need to be able to say no to temptation. So as we look at this passage today, there are really three things that I want to tell you. The first one is this, facing temptation is probable. Facing temptation is probable. I mean, it's way more than possible. It's way more than plausible. I guess technically we could say it's way more than probable because it's certain. But we'll stick with that. Battling temptation or facing temptation is probable for you. It's certain. And so I want you to look at this because I don't want you to get too terribly down on yourself about being tempted. Look at how our verse begins. In verse number 1 of chapter 4. Then Jesus. <laughs> we stop right there, can't we? This is Jesus. This is the Son of God. This is, the, this is God the Son. This is the creator of all things. This is the sustainer of all things. This is the one who is perfect. And yet he's the one that we're studying today. It's Jesus. Look at it as he continues. Then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan. What's that all about? He just got baptized, right? Great spiritual high at that point. He returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So let's stop here in verse number 1 for just a moment and tell you this. You don't have to get down on yourself about being tempted. And here's one good reason. I mean, even Jesus was tempted. Even if you are filled with the Spirit, You can be tempted. Even if you are returning from some great spiritual victory, you can be tempted. I mean, even if you are being led by the Spirit, you can still be tempted. I mean, even if you are in the right place where you're supposed to be, doing the right thing, doing what you're supposed to do, temptation can just pop up at any time. 
It has that ability to, to insert itself into your life and insert itself in such a way that you have to deal with it in some particular way. Hopefully it's not to give in to it. That's not what Jesus did. And we certainly want to be able to learn from him. But let me, let me tell you something right here very early on that I hope will free some of you. Being tempted is not a sin. It's not. Jesus is tempted. The Bible says, in fact, that he is tempted in all points, even as we are. So he's tempted in the same ways that you and I are tempted. And yet the Bible says he is tempted in all ways, even as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus never gives in to temptation. He always says no to temptation. He's always victorious. And so I want to be able to learn from him. But it means that he was tempted. He was tempted again and again and again. And you may be too. You know, sometimes we think about temptation as just being, uh, you know, being something that's, uh, that's an obstacle that's before us. But it's something that comes with life, right? It's always going to be there. But there are also some things that you can do to encourage and enhance temptation to come your way. One is not be where you're supposed to be and not be doing what you ought to be doing. Well, that's a surefire way to invite temptation into your life. But did you know also that when you are physically down, that it's natural to become spiritually down as well? Look, look at verse number two. We didn't even finish the sentence, did we? Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And then it says this, And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. Well, I guess so, you know. For 40 days he's fasting and praying. That, I mean, that in itself is a great spiritual high, a great spiritual victory. Spiritually, but physically, it takes a toll. Can you imagine eating nothing for 40 days? Some of us can't imagine not eating for 40 minutes. <laughs> When's the service going to be over? Lunch is coming soon, right? Jesus is 40 days in the wilderness. His body is exhausted. When you're exhausted, Satan knows how to strike. I made a statement to Alan earlier today. I said, you know, some, I just feel overwhelmed. You know? When you feel overwhelmed, congratulations. Temptation's probably coming. Right? Get ready for it. There are some things that we do that enhances that or invites that into our life. So facing temptation is probable. Just know that it's coming. All right? Let's quickly move on to number two. I want you to see that the facade of temptation is persuasiveness. You know, we, we treat temptation as if it is some strong, unbeatable force, something that is, that is too big for me. And so we excuse ourselves by saying things like, well, you know, I mean, the devil made me do it. Or we may say, you know, well, my, my spirit is willing, <clears throat> but my flesh is weak. You know, or, or, or we come up with some way to explain why we have to give in to temptation or why we did give in to temptation at that particular point. But let me remind you of this. 
Temptation itself has no power. It, it, it is a facade. I mean, it's, it's fake. It's, it's smoke and mirrors. All right? I don't know if you follow the, the Marvel movies like I follow the Marvel movies. I hope you don't follow the way I follow them. But anyway, if you follow those, if you're aware of those, you know that in the last Spider-Man movie that the, that the villain was a guy by the name of Mysterio. You know, Mysterio had a way of just creating, he used drones in order to use light and sound and smoke and mirrors to create something around Spider-Man that wasn't real. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, Spider-Man's not real. Yes, he is. Anyway, <laughs> so he creates this world around him that's just not real, and Spider-Man finds himself fighting something that's not even really there. Listen, you may think that that's just comic books and movies, but that's how we live life. Satan throws up for us things that are not real. We fight enemies that aren't real enemies. Can I tell you something? The person sitting next to you is not your enemy. The person that is on the other side of the church that you don't want to sit next to is not your enemy. The person that you see on the news that is so politically and spiritually and geographically opposite of where you are person is not your enemy. You have an enemy. And he is out for your destruction. And he treats us as if we are fools by putting up for us something that is not real, whose only power really is persuasiveness. Listen, the devil is not trying to get you or to persuade you that everything that's wrong is good. He's not trying simply to flip your world upside down. He wants you to think that the things that are wrong are permissible. Or the things that are wrong are okay. Or the things that are wrong, nobody really sees that anyway. So you're not going to be held accountable for it. He is trying to persuade you of something that is not biblical truth. He's a pretty good fisherman. And like a good fisherman, which I am not, <laughs> you know, good fisherman, Sean, knows that depending on what you want to catch, you might use a different kind of lure, a different kind of bait, right? Every kind of lure, every kind of bait doesn't work with every kind of fish. The devil knows what works for you. He knows what buttons to push. He knows what bait to use. In Jesus' case, there are three different temptations that come. With that, there are three different well, baits. And that's what he's doing. He's baiting a hook and just waiting to see, is Jesus going to bite on this? He's baiting a hook for you, just waiting. Are you going to bite on this? You may face some of the very same kinds of temptations that Jesus may face. Now, sometimes... He will use the bait of what I will call physical, reasonable temptation. Physical, reasonable temptation. All right, let's go back into your passage. All right? 
verse number three. The devil said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. It's physical. (laughs) It's reasonable, isn't it? I mean, Jesus has the power. He created the stone in the first place. He could easily change that, uh, that, that matter from, from rock into bread. I mean, it's been 40 days. He's hungry, right? I mean, the Bible even says that. He was hungry. So why not? Why not, why not turn it into bread? I mean, it's not like this is the last rock, you know? I mean, there, there's not ever going to be any more rocks because Jesus turned one into bread. Nope. I mean, why not just turn it into bread? And nobody else is there. You know, he's out in the wilderness. Nobody's there. Nobody's going to see him. So what difference does it make? Right? You ever had the devil whisper those same things to you? That's what he's whispering to Jesus. It's physical. It appeals to a real need that you sense in your own life, maybe even in your own body. Maybe it is physical hunger. Maybe it's something else. But it appeals to you. And it makes sense. Now, when that doesn't work, he might try a different kind of bait. He does that for Jesus. It doesn't work. We're going to skip verse number four for a minute. But basically, verse number four says, no thanks. You know? But you get to verse number five, and you discover that, that Satan has moved from one end of the spectrum to the other when it comes to temptation. This time, it's not something that is, that's physical, and it's not something that is even reasonable. This is something that is downright wrong. All right? That's another kind of bait. Look at it. Verse number five. Then the devil, taking Jesus up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Let me stop there for just a moment and give you a little parenthesis. Is he right? Is the the devil offering to Jesus something that he is really capable of offering to him? Yes. Yes. In, In the very moment when Adam ate of the fruit of that garden that Jesus said, do not eat, in that moment he willfully, carelessly, unintentionally lost the authority and the dominion that God had given to him. If you take, all, take your way from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of the Revelation, you remember that John is there and he's watching all of these things unfold. He says he sees a scroll, a scroll that is rolled up and sealed with seven seals. And the Bible says John wept because he says no one was worthy to take the scroll. Now, Is he just weeping because there's nobody that can open it and read it and he can find out what's in it? No. Is he weeping because no one can open it and read it and it's filled with all of those judgments of how God's going to pour his wrath out on the earth? No. It is the title deed to all of creation. It is authority and dominion over the world's. John is weeping because if no one steps forth and takes it, then Satan gets to keep it and the world stays in the condition that it already is in forever and forever and forever. But then steps forth the slain lamb. And he is worthy. 
And He takes that scroll. He takes authority. He takes dominion. So here's the issue behind this, the first part at least of this temptation. The devil is offering to him in verse number 6 something that he's going to take back anyway. (laughs) I mean, yes, right now Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He is the God of this age, the God of this world. But one of these days he's going to be thrown into the pit of fire forever and forever and forever and never come out. Jesus has that authority. Jesus takes that authority. Jesus takes that glory for himself. So he's offering something to Jesus that Jesus is eventually going to take anyway. But that's not where the downright wrong comes into place. It comes in verse 7. Look what he says. The devil's still speaking. I'll give you all this stuff. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. I give you all this stuff, but I want to be worshipped. I mean, if the temptation is, you haven't eaten for 40 days, turn this stone into bread, I I probably could talk myself into that, to tell you the truth, you know? But if he comes along and says, hey, worship the devil, I'm probably going to be able to go, yeah, no, no thanks. I might give in to this one, but I'm probably not going to give in to that one. You know what the reality is, though? Is there's a bunch of people that don't care, you know? I mean, maybe it is downright wrong. But if it means that I get something out of it, then that's good enough for me. I'll take it. It's amazing to me how how even believers, how even preachers can be tempted with something that is downright wrong and still give in to it. But we do, don't we? All right? There's all kind of baked There's all kind of lures, and Satan's just dropping them in the water, waiting to see which one you'll bite on. So, so far, Jesus has had one that's that's reasonable, you know, and he said no. Satan tries the other extreme. Let me try something that is terribly wrong. And Jesus still said no. Let's try another one. This is one that I would call scriptural and questionable, you know? I mean, we'll see it again in just a little bit, that Jesus uses the Word of God to to fight Satan at that point. Well, Satan's thinking, well, I know some Bible verses too. And he pulls them right out of their context. Look at verse number 9. Then the devil brought Jesus to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written... Now, this is where it becomes scriptural. He's pulling pulling the Bible into it. Imagine (laughs) Satan trying to trick Jesus with his own word, but he does. So he gives you this verse. He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And here's another one. In In their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. So, so now Satan comes to him and says, well, listen, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that God's going to give his angels charge over you. So just throw yourself off of here and prove him right. You know, it's scriptural, but it's questionable, isn't it? There are far too many examples I could give you of the devil coming to me and throwing a little Bible verse out there and saying, TMC, look, you could do that. You can, you can do that. It's, it's okay. It's, look, it's right here in the Bible. It's dangerous, isn't it, to take, 
take Bible verses out of their context, try to make them say something that they don't. Devil will do that for you, though. By the way, I remember hearing a preacher one time say, you know, you have to be careful taking verses out of their context. Because one Bible verse says, Judas went and hanged himself. Right? But there's another Bible verse that says, go ye therefore and do likewise. And then the other verse says, and whatever you do, do it heartily. <laughs> be careful taking those verses out of context. But that's what the devil will do for you. He'll take those Bible verses, dangle them in front of you and say, see, this is really what God wants you to do. This is, this is God's will for you. We tend to look at these kinds of temptations and just think that they're, they're too big, they're too, they're, they're too much, they're on too big of a spectrum and, and, and there's no way that I'm really going to be able to fight it, so let's just don't fight it anyway. I mean, after all, he's already put that thought in my head, I might as well just act on it now, right? Just because he puts it in your head is not the problem. It's a facade. He's trying to persuade you. But you need to be stalwart in the Scriptures. This becomes my stance. This becomes my place of truth. Not just a verse taken out here and there, but what does the whole counsel of the Word of God say to me about this temptation? No, it's just a trick. Join us tomorrow for the conclusion of Pastor Tim's message battling temptation. Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is church office at BritDavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Brit David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Brit David Podcast.